Welcome to Recognize Your Truth. I am your host, Lisa Williams. This is the podcast that offers motivation and inspiration to act, speak, and think in ways that make a positive impact on your life. Each week, we bring you a message or a guest that offer you tools to live up to your full potential. Thank you for spending some time with me today. I am truly grateful. If you've already gone in and rated and reviewed this podcast, I want to let you know that I do read every single review on there and it does provide me great feedback because my goal is to constantly provide as much content that is valuable and useful to you, whether it's business building, mindset, motivation, or inspiration. So if you will please share this, rate it, review it, and subscribe, I will be truly. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me today. I have a wonderful guest on. It is Dr. Summer Watson, and she is with Core Women. Hi, Summer. How are you? Hey, Lisa. I'm great. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I want to just kind of dive right in and start start this podcast. So tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do and how you started Core Women. Okay. Well, again, thank you for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate um, spending time with you today. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about myself. I love to say that I'm from California, but I currently live in um, the D.C., Northern Virginia, D.C. area. I grew up in California, uh, in Santa Cruz, California, which is near the Monterey Bay. I went to high school there. I um, went to college at UC Berkeley. From UC Berkeley, I went back home. I had been dating somebody my senior year of high school, went back home and you know, we were still together at that point after I graduated from UC Berkeley. Then going on from there, I decided to go to law school back east, got accepted, got accepted to Quinnipiac University and went there for, you know, not quite a year. And I decided, you know what, law school is not really for me to turn around and go back home was really difficult. But at the same time, I knew, I knew that wasn't going to be part of my journey, that I I achieved one of my goals, which was to get into law school. I experienced it and thought, this is just not who I am. So I went back home, got a job, got three jobs, actually, started working a lot. And then my boyfriend and I decided that we were going to get married, but he joined the Marine Corps. Once he got past um, boot camp and combat training, we got married. And from there... (laughs) our lives just went in this crazy direction of really aligning with what military life was like. And at that point, I I felt like I had already lived a lot in my life. Um, And I thought, well, okay, this is going to be an interesting life. It really is a different type of culture. Um, How do I fit in here? Like I said, I felt like I've already lived lived a lifetime. I was already already working at 15 years old and I've worked ever since. And I thought, wow, what do I do here? How do I do this? You know, what is military life? What What are the expectations of me? And how does this fit with my values? 
And so at that point, I was 22 or 23. I was surrounded by 18-year-olds because my husband had joined at a later time in our lives. And I thought, wow, I'm just not here. I'm just, I don't know where I fit in. So I ended up working full-time at Miramar um, in San Diego And then I also started back to grad school and I thought, you know what, I want to do something in the human services field because I had during, um, after I got out of college, I also started working in group homes and I thought it was a tough, tough job, but I really liked working with kids who, who just, they came from very difficult backgrounds and they needed a lot of support and I really enjoyed it. So I thought, you know what, I want to go into the human services field, got a master's degree, went into that field, got a lot of supervision, um, started working with the nonprofit, had two great supervisors, one for, uh, who served as my clinical supervisor, one who served as my administrative supervisor, where I did a lot of program management and development, community-based um, program development and management. And then I also went into schools and did counseling. I did individual counseling, group counseling, marital counseling, you name it. I did it and learned a lot, a lot from that job. From there, we we moved as a military family several times over. I started working in locked facilities, uh, assessing people who were suicidal, homicidal, gravely disabled. Loved that job and really thought, I want to get more clinical I want to do something in this field where I can be clinical. I can help people in a different way. And I really like doing intake and assessment. I loved it. I love triage where everything was really fast paced. Um, and so I ended up going into a doctoral program and we moved <laughs> and we went into it. I went into a doctoral program, finished, graduated, and then we moved again. But this time it was out of the country. Wow. And Yeah, we moved to Okinawa, Japan, which was a little island off the coast of Japan. And we were there, we were going to be stationed there for three years. And I thought to myself, my God, you know, I can't get a job here. I've tried and tried and tried. I just got a doctorate. What the heck am I doing? Right? Right. Where am I in all of this? So I thought to myself, well, you know, my husband looked at me and he said, you got to stop banging your head against the wall in relation to trying to find a job. You're just not going to find one here. And I thought to myself, I can do better than this. Like I can just do better than this. So I ended up getting a job um, from a, with a distance education program and serving on a doctoral board and helping students um, through their doctoral programs. And I also started a lighting business which was something completely different. And I just knew that it was creative and it allowed me to express myself in a different way. And a year later, my husband was sent to war for a year and I was in Japan by myself. And I met so many wonderful military spouses where we served as support for one another. And I was very lucky to have these women in my life. I was so far away from home that the people back home just couldn't serve as support for me because they weren't there. You know, they didn't know what was going on. 
They didn't know what, you know, it felt like to be a military spouse, but the women around me, we certainly did. So one example of that is we're sitting at a table, we're having lunch. There's probably around 13 of us. And I would say at least nine of us out of those 13, our husbands were gone. Our spouses were gone to war. Wow. And so at that moment, you know, I realized like we're here for each other. I didn't have kids, couldn't have kids. I had a dog there with me. And I thought if I have to be on PTO, you know, do Girl Scouts, that's what I did. That's what we did for each other. And I thought we are here to support one another. We can do this, you know, and there's where that independent nature came out again in me. And I thought we can do this. I can do this. You know, my husband's gone. I got it. I got it. I got this. You know, even though I was worried for him, concerned about him, this is something that he wanted to do. This was not just a job. The military is a culture. It's a lifestyle. So I thought, you know what? I'm finally getting the culture. I'm finally understanding what this is all about. (laughs) (laughs) And thank God for all the women around me, right? So um, at that point, you know, we spent... That year, my husband came home back to me, into my arms. I was able to hug him, able to say, you're home. Thank God. Here I am. I have you. You know, you've returned home to me because unfortunately, there were people that did not return home, you know, or didn't return home alive. And so after the following year, um, we did our three-year tour. We moved back to the States and we moved to North Carolina and For a military spouse, just so that people know out there, it's really difficult because even when you're a professional, say for instance, me, I, you know, had a doctorate, but I didn't have a license. And every time we moved, it didn't give me enough time to sit for a license to do this, to do that. So I went again to work for a hospital where I didn't necessarily need a license. I could, um, I could really function under their, their insurance policy, their umbrella of, of, of what they wanted me to do. And again, it was running admissions departments where we did triage. I managed all the nurses in that department. I managed the security team. I managed, you know, so I was up and going and doing and all the time. And I also taught at Webster University. So my life was very busy. And then we come to Virginia, Northern Virginia, where my husband retires, starts working for the government. And I decide, what is it that I want to do? And I decide, well, you know what? I think I need to take a break. I think I need to go back home and I need to bond with my, my friends. The people who have been with me for years now um, in relation to being my friends, being my support system, Uh but I need to get together with them. I need to bond. And so we got together in Newport beach. We hung out for like three days and I sat there and I thought, it's not about what you have. It's about who you have in your life. And watching these women just talk to one another. We played games, we laughed, we had fun, but I sat there and sat back and I watched these women talk I watch these women connect. I watch these women just be and be authentic. And I knew these women are women that I can trust, that I love, that every time I'm around them, I just feel fulfilled. So I I thought to myself that moment, 
does every woman have this? No. Does every woman have women in their lives that they feel fulfilled by, they feel connected with, where it feels like home? Sure. Right? Right. And so at that moment, I was like, this is what I'm going to create. I'm going to create Poor Women, where my tagline is, it's a unique home for the hearts and souls of women. So there you go. I create for women <laughs> and I started coaching and doing strategic empowerment coaching with women. I started, I created a podcast. I didn't know what I was doing, but I thought it's a way for me to meet more women across the country who want to talk about their journeys. We're doing amazing things who are being supportive in community, who are giving back. And it's a way for me to connect And I started doing it and it just, it's been a little over a year. I have over 50 podcast episodes. And within that year, like I said, I was a coach, a podcaster. I've made three films, three women empowerment films, which are documentaries, which are on YouTube. And I did one in Los Angeles, one in Nashville and one in New York city. And I've also written a book. Wow. You have had quite the journey. (laughs) I love how you've taken your experience and, um, you know, being in Okinawa and being in Japan and surrounding yourself with supportive women, supportive spouses, because y'all depended on each other and needed each other. And you, you learned from each other because y'all were experiencing similar situations. And I loved how you took that and also your just your wisdom of sitting with your group of girlfriends and recognizing not everybody has this. I'm, I'm blessed to have it, but not everybody has this. And how do I empower other people, other women to encourage them to, to create this? I love that you did that. So tell me a little bit more about core women and what you, you know, what, what you do with the the women that you coach and what you're seeing and what value you have gained from that. Okay. So let me just take a little bit of a step back to Lisa, because I want to tell you, I want to touch on my relationships earlier on and that those were relationships in high school where I still have great friends, but one of the most important relationships I had was with my mother and I don't know if a lot of women can say that they've had these strong bonds and these great relationships with their mom or their aunts or whatever. But one of those people for me was my mother and we were best friends when I was growing up in high school and I loved her dearly. Although I did, you know, individuate during high school and I became my own person and I had my own um, set of values and, you know, goals I was still really connected with my mother. I loved her dearly. But after I went off to college, you know, people think, you know, they don't know my backstory. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about this backstory where when I went off to college, my mom really, really had a hard time. She had a hard time. And this is really her story to tell. And so I'll just give you bits and pieces of what, of my story and and how I interpret it. But she had a hard time And so that first year of college was really a struggle for me. 
I went to Berkeley. It's, it's, it was a very demanding school, very difficult to get into. When I was there, I loved being there, but it was very challenging in that first year because at this point, my mom started going downhill. And one of the things that happened is she started getting into drugs. And I would go home on the weekends and try and help her, but there was really nothing that I was going to be able to do until she wanted to help herself. And yet I was still struggling at school because I knew that I no longer had the same mother. She was changing. Wow. So that source of support was almost gone at that point. It, it was, you know, I was more parentified than anything. So I was the support system for her rather than her being the support system for me. So the women that I met in college, the women that I spent time with in um, at the beach that time when I said I need to take a break and I need to go back to California and, and be with my girlfriends, those were the women that I met in college that were still a source of support that felt like home to me years later. Sure. Wow. So, so when I say that this has all been a journey and, and my mom is, thank God, still in my life. She's still around. I still am here for her, you know, um, but it's been, it's been a unique journey with her. Um, yet I still have these wonderful girlfriends in my life. And yet I go back to Okinawa too. And I, and I created a new bunch of girlfriends there where we were going through a different journey where only we understood it was, we were on an Island. We were military spouses. Our husbands were at war and we created a close bond. So when I reflect back on all of this, you're right. I brought this all forward with me to create core women because all these women were meaningful to me from my mom to my grandmother, to the women in Okinawa, to the women in college you name it. So I thought to myself, how can I bring this together and create a support system for other women? And I do that through podcasting. I do that through coaching. I am able to work on goals and strategies with women where maybe they haven't identified what those strategies or goals are. And we can work on that together. We can work on and one of the things that I'm going to touch on right now is my new book that is for pre-order at Barnes and Noble and Amazon. But more importantly, it's about values. And so I can work on, you know, with in coaching, what somebody's value system is and, and, you know, getting them to recognize that and identify that and why that is so important because our values and beliefs are the foundation for what propels us, what drives us, what, and it really is what's going to make our journey. When you have an understanding of what those are, they're going to create a journey that you love. They're going to help you create a journey that you love. So these are some of the things that I do in coaching. These are the things that we talk about in my podcasts. We talk about this in the films that we've created with all the women from all different backgrounds, all different ages. And by doing this and reaching out to community, doing these films, doing these podcasts, doing these coaches, being able to speak, you know, in different forums. Sure. I'm able to bring women together. And so that is my mission. And I absolutely love it. (laughs) I'm loving that I'm living 
what I love to live. Uh, and hear it in your voice. And I love that. Oh my God. I'm, I am not joking, Lisa. When I say this is something I absolutely love, I'm beaming right now because it truly is. It, it truly is. I love bringing people together because we learn from one another. We don't all know everything. We learn from one another. And Absolutely. we grow. I love that. And you and I connected through um, a mutual um, acquaintance on LinkedIn. And just the energy that we had in our conversation and just, um, you know, just all the things that we had talked about. I loved how we just were so empowering to each other and just connecting. And so bringing people together just ignites me just like it does you. And I love that. Um, You mentioned your book. And so let's talk a little bit about it. What is it about? What's the title? (laughs) Let's let's get it out there. All right. So it's called Fuck Yeah, Get Real with Strong Language. And it's a title that's in your face. It's, it's saying, hey, look at me, you know? And you might say, what is she talking about? What is this woman talking about? Get real with strong language. Well, okay. So this is a book that is co-authored. So it's myself and my writing partner, Sheila Kirkbride. She is from Tennessee, but she also lives here in the Northern Virginia area. And we met by coming together and creating a nonprofit, a veterans nonprofit together. So that's something else that I do. And, um, and we decided it was, it was one day in the car that we, we were driving somewhere. Ah, we were driving to a friend's book launch. And so while we were driving, we were talking about this whole concept about how strong language, many times we want to just be like, F you, F you, F you to some people, right? right. And yet it's just like, ah, but that's not what it's always all about. It's not just giving somebody the bird or just saying F you. And, and yet these, these words can be so strong and have so much value and so much meaning behind them. Sure. So we all use them for different reasons. And, and the funny thing is, when my friend was growing up or my, the co-author was growing up, she grew up in Tennessee. She was very sheltered. People around her didn't say strong language words. And so she's like, so it was really hard for me to hear these words. <laughs> However, she's been with a Marine for several years, married to a Marine. And she's like, I can't get away from them now. <laughs> <laughs> they're part of my life. And so they don't shock me like they used to shock me. And quite frankly, you know, she's like, they're used for different reasons. And we're like, absolutely. And my husband isn't one to use strong language, but I am, you know, and it's funny because I am because that those were words that were used while I was growing up by my mother, my paternal grandfather or my maternal grandfather, and, it, and they didn't shock me. Sometimes they did, depending on how they were used, right? right. But, <laughs> and we use the, the term strong language because we don't want to imply judgment based on language. 
Sure. And I what we're trying, trying, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I get that. Like, I, I like that you, you're not taking a word and making it good or bad. Right. And this is what we say in this book. And this is why this book is really a strategic guide to understanding your personal beliefs, because we take the idea of strong language and pose it against your belief system. Because many people as, and we all know that when we grow up, many of our, our parents are like, oh, you just said that word. What did you just say? Did you really <laughs> say that word? Do you know that's a bad word? You know, and I went to Catholic school, you know, growing up. So it's like, uh, uh, we couldn't say those words at school. Right. right. <laughs> they were considered bad. But at the same time, in my eighth grade class, where I was still going to Catholic school at the time, we went over the word fuck. And he, and my, my teacher said, you know, it's actually an acronym for fornication under carnal knowledge. I want you to understand what you're saying. And I go back to that and my experiences of learning that. And, and I think, wow, he was teaching us something about language about values, about why we were saying what we were saying. And again, we pose strong language and the idea of strong language because it can be such a sensitive issue for so many because of how we are raised to think about it that we pose it against your values and how you could potentially think about it and how we start using it or when we start using it. And we start using it when we start to individuate from our elders or people that are raising us like our parents or grandparents. And we start discovering our freedoms, our freedoms of language, our freedoms of self-expression. And these are the things that we cover in this book. So it's not filled with gratuitous or language or describing search, uh, you know, situations that might be thought of as, you know, shocking. Um, No, we talk about this and we ask you questions. We ask questions throughout this entire book. It really is a strategic book, you know, understanding who you are, what your beliefs are. How did you feel when you were reprimanded for saying a certain word? How did that make you feel? How do you feel about it now? How do you use these words now? How do they, how are they used in culture? How are they used um, from a scientific perspective? When you use these words, what happens to your body? You know, what happens when you stub your toe and you use the word shit, you know, versus a neutral word? And we include some science in here and how that affects your dopamine, how that affects your healing process, how you bond by using language and culture, how we hear this language in movies, by comedians, in books, and what we think about it. It's a short book, but trust me, it is full of really great growth and strategy ideas. I can't wait to get my hands on a copy of it, Summer. Um, and it, <laughs> kind of, it kind of goes in relation to what we, what I had said earlier is um, in what we put in our head from thoughts, from the way we grew up. And like you said, your teachers, your mentors, your everybody that's surrounding you, you know, whether they used foul language or strong language, or they didn't use any language. It's these thoughts that we put in our head that we go, Oh, I shouldn't say that. Oh, I I shouldn't do that. Oh, Oh, 
that's a bad word. And it kind of goes down the whole path of not only words like strong language, but just everything in your life that you put right. in your head that, you, you know, so, it, and that, I love that you kind of related just using language to the whole thought process. The, the thought thing. process and your values, you know, and I go back to values and personal beliefs because if you don't know what those are, then start doing some exploration of self-discovery and self, self-growth because you want to know what those are. Because trust me, those are going to help you in so many different ways, just having an understanding of what your values are. I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, I, I do DISC certification, which is a behavioral analysis. And one of my big things is you have to know yourself in order to grow yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to. John Maxwell says that all the time. And he's one of my mentors. And you, you can't project yourself forward or, or even relate with other people until you know who you are. Exactly, Lisa. Exactly. Exactly. And this is what this book is about. We just decided to use the idea of strong language because it is such a sensitive subject for so many. And we thought if we can pique their interest, people's interest, if we can get them stimulated by, you know, going back and thinking back about when you first said that strong language word, your first strong language word, how did you feel? Were you reprimanded? What were you made to feel? What were you made to believe? Are these your adopted values that you now hold on to? Or are they learned values that you've learned to grow into? So, you know, this book really challenges you. I mean, it's only 90 pages, but it has a lot of good content. And so it makes for a fast read because it could make for a fast read because it's, it's a shorter book. However, even when you stop at that first chapter and you start looking at the questions at the end of the chapter, you start to start doing self-reflection. You start doing some self-growth and self-development, personal development. So it may take you a little while to get through this book just because of the personal development you're going to be doing throughout it. I love that. And Summer, I want to acknowledge you for a couple of things. First of all, for being vulnerable and and being real and empowering other women. Thank you so much. Thanks again for joining me today. I can be found at recognizeyourtruth.com. I do offer a complimentary one-on-one discovery session for individual coaching as well as a new product that is going to launch in October. It's a new course called Selling on Social, where I walk you through building your brand and selling your products on social media. And the music is Genuine by Julio Ortiz. Feel love for the first